This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. We're all probably a little hungover. A big basketball weekend, uh, both the men's and the women's tournaments. Some great games and some upsets continue on both the men's and the women's side. Of course, the upsets on the men's side um, probably a lot more uh, shocking. You know, when you have eleven seeds and uh, 12 seeds playing the way that they did late late in the season like this. The Pac-12 continuing uh, to amaze folks uh, in the men's tournament. Uh, we'll start off, of course, the women's basketball team at the University of Connecticut ready to face off with Baylor today in the Elite Eight. This is a game uh, I can't wait for. This should be a lot of fun, especially after watching the way the UConn women played against Iowa uh, this weekend, you know, everybody was talking about the great matchup between Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. And, you know, it was probably a little bit unfair. And as I said, if you run back to tape, as I said, prior to this game, I, when we talked about it on Friday, I said, UConn wins this game by 20 and guess what? They won it by 20. Why? Because top to bottom, this UConn team is better. You know, they just have more weapons. When you look at the box score, from this game, Gino Auriemma essentially played five players. Now, Anna Makarak got in for seven minutes, hit a couple of threes, which were big, by the way. Uh, Aubrey Griffin played for 11 minutes. But outside of that, it was his starting five. And his starting five was absolutely amazing. Uh, the, the game that Kristen Williams had was... Uh, crazy. 27 points. Shot 12 for 23. 23 shots. So she goes off for 27. Paige Becker's almost had a triple-double. She had 18 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Avina Westbrook, 17 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists. I mean, they had two girls right to the final couple of minutes, both in contention for a double-double. But, you know, the best players, uh, you know, the, to me, the players of the game for the UConn Huskies, say what you want about I mean, Crystal Williams had a great game. But what Olivia Nelson Adota and Aaliyah Edwards did in this game was impressive as hell. Aaliyah Edwards, the freshman, just ate Iowa's lunch. She was 9 for 11 from the field. They just continued to feed her inside 18 points. Three rebounds, a couple of assists. Olivia Nelson Adota only had four points in 36 minutes, but she had 11 rebounds and seven assists. A lot of those two, uh, Aaliyah Edwards. 11 rebounds, and I think six or seven of those were on the offensive end. 
UConn was very impressive in this game. They out-rebounded Iowa 42-25. to UConn with 30 assists on 40 baskets. It was a clinic. UConn went to the line only three times in this game. Three. That does not happen very often. And the funny part was is there was a couple of times that that uh, Iowa was kind of bitching that they weren't getting calls. And guess what, folks? Iowa went to the line uh, more than UConn did. They, I mean, they only went nine times. Not a lot of fouls called in this game. There were only 15 fouls called in the entire game. The referees, and this is what I love, and this is, this is where, uh, you know, sometimes I think referees miss the mark. There are times that you just got to let them play. And there is no doubt that the referees let them play, and it was very entertaining. UConn uh, just dominated the second quarter, outscored Iowa 27-17 to in the second quarter, took a 14-point lead into halftime. Iowa made a little bit of a run, uh, but then it was lights out. Anna Makarot hit a three. I mean, she hadn't played all the whole game. They bring her in late in the game, and uh, she buried a three that put them up 15 with five minutes to go, and it was over. Uh, no Nika Mule. Nika Mule is not going to play to get today against Baylor either, which is no surprise. I mean, everybody, obviously, when somebody goes down like that, you're hoping that she can come back. You know, you get all the way uh, to the NCAA tournament. You hate to see somebody's season end like that. Uh, and maybe if they make the final, she'd be available, but I doubt it. You know, as, as anybody that's ever sprained their ankle knows, sometimes a sprain can be worse than a break because it's one of those things that just keeps nagging you. And look, you know, this UConn team is so deep. You know, having Nico Mule would be nice, but it's not necessary. You know, and as far as the matchup between Beckers and Clark, um, Clark is a better deep shooter. I will give her that. Paige Beckers is a more complete player. No doubt in my mind. But they were both nervous. I mean, they were both firing up shots they probably normally wouldn't fire up. Uh, Clark went 7 for 21. Beckers went 7 for 18. But Beckers is a better overall player. But Krista Williams, I mean, uh, Chris, uh, Caitlin Clark is a great scorer. I'll tell you what. You put her uh, on a team where, you know, like a UConn where they've got other people they have to worry about, oh, my God, she'd score a million. So she has to carry the load there. Uh, Warnock, very good player, no question. Uh, they, I think UConn did a great job of taking uh, Sinano out of the game. You know, she had 14 points, but, you know, she only had three rebounds. Nobody on that Iowa team was able to get inside. Uh, what Olivia Nelson Adota did yesterday was impressive. And Evina Westbrook, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, she's kind of one of those players for UConn that flies under the radar. I mean, the transfer from Tennessee, and, you know, she's kind of just like a – she's a great – she's been a great complimentary player. Yesterday or uh, Saturday, she stepped up. I mean, almost having a triple-double was just – it was crazy. So, today should be fun. This is a Baylor team they played today that has beaten UConn the last two times they have played. Matter of fact, if you remember, they played them in the regular team in the country, 
or excuse me, UConn was the top-ranked team in the country at the time. Baylor was sixth. Baylor came in and beat UConn 74-58. to It wasn't close. They never got a chance to play again in the NCAA tournament because the tournament was canceled last year. But the year before that, Baylor beat UConn again. This time in Waco, they beat him 68-57. to It was the first regular season loss that UConn had had in four years. So, you know, this is a team that that has had UConn's number the last couple of years. Matter of fact, the last time UConn beat Baylor was in 2016, um, and it was in stores, and UConn won it 72-61. to uh, I think uh, at the time, I think Baylor was number two in the country, and UConn was number three. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and UConn had – had kind of controlled the series prior to that, but the last couple of years, this Baylor team um, has been a thorn in the side of the UConn Huskies. So this should be fun. Uh, game is 7 o'clock on ESPN. And uh, look, this is a, these are two teams that score a lot of points. UConn's averaging 83 a game. Uh, Baylor, I think, is averaging 84 a game. The difference is is that this Baylor team defensively is better than UConn. And that's, you know, and that's saying something. I mean, UConn's only given up 51 points a game. But this Baylor team is given up a little bit more, I think like 54 a game, but they're only allowing teams to shoot 32% from the field against them. And this Baylor team has some size to hang with UConn. When you look at their front line, uh, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 6'2", you know, they can hang with Aaliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson Adota. You know, they may actually have a bit of a size outside of uh, the little girl, uh, what's her name, uh, Moon Urson. She's only like 5'6". But outside of that, I think Baylor has some size, and UConn shouldn't be able to control the boards the way they did against Iowa. But make no mistake, UConn needs to win the rebounding battle here, and they need to do it on both ends of the floor. They've got to hit the glass, you know, and they've got to box out. But I, I'm looking forward to this. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, a big upset last night, uh, Maryland, the highest-scoring team in the country, and a number uh, two seed in this tournament lost to number six seeded Texas last night, 64-61. Um, you know, and Maryland jumped out to like a 9 nothing lead, and then Texas just started to grind it out. And uh, it was a, a great finish. Texas 21-9, and and now they get South Carolina in the Elite Eight. South Carolina beat Georgia Tech earlier yesterday. Um, so, uh, the upsets continue and how about, how about, boy, talk about a bad day or a bad weekend. So Michigan lost to Baylor. That's how Baylor is playing UConn today. So Michigan loses to Baylor and as they are traveling home when they're on their flight home, the cabin of their airplane lost pressure and it had to make an emergency landing. Talk about frightening. Now, everybody was okay, but uh, uh, there was some uh, 
no injuries, but there were a few bloody noses. You know, lost pressure, and you know, and some of the girls got bloody noses. But uh, fortunately, uh, everybody was okay. But oh my goodness, not a good day. Uh, as far as the men's tournament goes, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, all number one seeds, all hanging in there. Um. The only number one seed we've lost is Illinois. So as far as that goes, the, the tournament's probably patting themselves on the back. But then you, you look at the Pac-12, number six USC, number 11 UCLA, and number 12 Oregon State. I mean, it's crazy what's going on in that tournament. Um, and UCLA with a great overtime performance yesterday to beat Alabama, the number two seed. What a great finish to that game. And look, UCLA almost blew this game. They had a, a lead, a 65-62 lead with, uh, what, like four seconds on the clock? Well, the smart thing to do there if you are UCLA is when the ball is inbounded in the backcourt, you got to give a foul. You got to foul one of the Alabama players right away. Don't give them a chance to make a three-pointer, right? That's what you have to do. Well, instead, they let him inbound it. Alex Reese throws one up from probably I don't know, 35 feet. Swish, nothing but net and they go to overtime. Now, uh, UCLA dominated the overtime, and they, they get away with the win, but my goodness. My goodness. What a finish, and, and it was it was a mistake coaching-wise from UCLA to let that get to the point where they were able to shoot that three-pointer, in my opinion. Um, and, and then, you know, you look at UCLA, right? So now they are in the... Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. 2008. That's when uh, Ben Howland was coaching the team. USC hasn't been in the Elite Eight in 20 years. They just absolutely shut down Oregon yesterday, beat them by 14 points. You know, that is a very good Southern Cal team. You know, the Pac-12, and I don't know why it is the Pac-12 was so underrated. You know, there's always been talk in sports about an East Coast bias. You know, and, and there may be something to that. But the other thing, and I've said this all along, the problem with this year's tournament was that when you had teams essentially only playing conference games, and obviously, you know, uh, the NCAA said, well, we want you to play three games out of conference. Well, the problem was with all the problem with COVID-19, there were a lot of non-conference games that were canceled. So you never really had a chance to gauge the who was better than somebody else and you know compare victories or compare results against uh, similar teams you know so there was a lot of uh rolling of the dice <laughs> and uh I, you know and i'm sure that the the bracket makers in the NCAA you know on that committee are 
probably feeling a little bit silly at times. But look, you you give them a pass. They absolutely get a pass on this one because there was no way uh, to really. It, it was apples to oranges this year. There was no uh, no clear way to do this. So, great games coming up today on both the men's and the women's sides, starting at 7 o'clock tonight. Of course, UConn and Baylor, as I said, uh, ESPN. Uh, and then the 7-15 start on CBS will be number two Houston against number 12 Oregon State. Oregon State comes in with a 20-12 and 12 record. Oregon State was picked to finish last, folks, in the Pac-12. And here they are uh, in the Elite Eight. They're going to have their hands full today. Houston is one of the best defensive teams in the country. They are holding opponents to just 37% shooting. Now, I say that in the NCAA tournament, the Oregon defense has been otherworldly. Uh, they are holding their opponents to just 31% from the field and 23% from three-point range. Uh, if Houston, the number two seed, wins this one tonight, it'll be their first Final Four since they'd made it uh, three straight times from 1982 to 1984. So it has been a long, long time for Houston. Well, it's been an even longer time for Oregon State. They haven't reached the Final Four since 1963. 1963. They're the first number 12 seed to make the Elite Eight since Missouri did it back in uh, 2002. Uh, they ended up losing to Oklahoma uh, that year in uh, Missouri did to uh, uh, a team that was led by Kelvin Sampson, who, by the way, is now at Houston. So uh, so those are the 7 o'clock games. And then coming up at 9 o'clock tonight, uh, it'll be number 3 Arizona women taking on the number 4-seeded Indiana team. That's at 9 o'clock on ESPN. And then the 10 o'clock start, oof, It'll be uh, number three Arkansas against number one seeded Baylor. Uh, Baylor just shoots lights out. They lead the nation in three point percentage. They're shooting three pointers at forty one percent. So, uh, and this is the first time, by the way, Arkansas has meet, made the Elite Eight since nineteen ninety five. So, a lot of a lot of droughts uh, have been uh, uh, are going to be uh, quenched. Uh, here in the NCAA tournament uh, these the, the next couple of nights. So something good to look forward to. Uh, a couple other college basketball notes before we uh, take a break. Indiana has announced that they are going to hire Mike Woodson as their new coach. Uh, Woodson, who is an assistant coach um, uh, right now in New York, uh, he's been in the NBA for 23 seasons. Uh, he's all, He's been a head coach in the NBA. He coached the Atlanta Hawks. He coached the New York Knicks. Uh, has over 300 victories uh, in the NBA as a head coach. There was a lot of talk, of course, that uh, uh, Brad Stevens would be lured away from Boston, but he shut that down pretty quickly. So Mike Woodson, the new coach at Indiana. And uh, Utah has hired Craig Smith to be their new basketball coach. Uh, Smith goes from Utah State to Utah and uh, Smith did a remarkable job at Utah State. They're one of the best mid-major programs in the country. Uh, they won the Mountain West Tournament again this season. They won 20 games. They ended up losing to Texas Tech uh, by 
12 in the first round of the tournament, but uh, Utah State has been one of the best mid-major programs in the country, so a good hire there for Utah as well. It is 26 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot of baseball news to talk about. The Red Sox uh, in absolute disarray right now, trying to figure out uh, their pitching rotation the first time through as COVID-19 has hit Red Sox camp. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It's 28 minutes past the hour here on a Monday morning, so... uh, you know, things are sailing along. Opening day in baseball coming up on Thursday. You know, where everybody's looking forward to it. Looks like the Red Sox are, you know, got things figured out. And then Matt Barnes comes down with a positive test for COVID-19. Now, on its face, that's not a disaster right now. He's scheduled to be your closer, but and he's going to be away from the team. The earliest that he can come back is April 5th. So he's going to miss four or five games. But not a disaster. You've got Adam Adovino. You've got some other options in that bullpen that you figure will be okay. Well, the problem then becomes contact tracing. And whether or not anybody that came in contact with Matt Barnes is going to be impacted by this. And it appears that Garrett Richards is one of those guys. Now, Richards was lined up to start either the second or the third game, and all of a sudden he is out of the rotation or has been one of the guys when they're talking about who's supposed to pitch on Monday, Tuesday, and then going forward, all of a sudden Garrett Richards' name doesn't appear anywhere. Now, the Red Sox have not, outside of Matt Andrees, he was supposed to pitch on Saturday, and he got scratched, and Cora... Uh, said that it was because of the contact tracing with Matt Barnes because they had been, you know, together. Uh, and then, But they didn't identify any of the other seven players that were involved. Well, it appears that Garrett Richards is one of them. So now the Red Sox <laughs> are really scrambling. They, they already knew that Eduardo Rodriguez was supposed to be their opening day starter. He came down with a dead arm, which, you know, considering the fact he didn't pitch at all last year, and is trying to ramp back up. It's not surprising that he had that problem. He took a few days off, threw a bullpen the other day, and reported that he feels much better, uh, that he had his strength back, and by all reports, he's good to go. But he's probably not going to start. Well, he's not going to start opening day. They've already announced that Nate Evaldi's going to get the opening day start instead. So now you've got Evaldi to start opening day. Martin Perez is going supposed to pitch his final spring training start on Tuesday. Um, that means he's not going to be lined up to pitch early. Um, Nick Pavetta threw a bullpen on Sunday, so he might end up being, believe it or not, Nick Pavetta might end up being your, your second day starter for the Red Sox. And then they would throw Rodriguez, uh, probably in game number three. Garrett Richards would have been one of those, but if he is, uh, he, that means he is probably out until the weekend so maybe he can come back and but the problem is is depending on what he's able to do if he's quarantining and he can't throw it all then he's not going to be ready for the weekend either so you've got him in next week so now all of a sudden Tanner Houck who by the way is going to pitch today's spring training game could end up starting in that first series for the Red Sox or in the second one on the weekend 
that that's that's where you're at now in Boston. So it is a bit of a fire drill. Um, and how did they find out? It, Barnes has no idea how we got this. He said that you know uh, Alex Cora said that Barnes went through his entire you know previous couple of days with the Red Sox, and nowhere in there does it did it appear that he had broken any of the protocols. Uh, and how did they find out about contact tracing? I didn't realize this, but the Red Sox are all wearing GPS bracelets that track players and coaches uh, where they are. So they were able to figure out who was close to Matt Barnes's bracelet, and that's how they knew who had to isolate. And and it, and it's according to CDC guidelines, which means that if you come within six feet of an infected person for a minimum of 15 minutes over a 24-hour period that begins two days before either the onset of the symptoms or a positive test. So for two days prior to that, to when he got the positive test, anybody that was with him for more than 15 minutes had to isolate. So just nuts. Absolute nuts. So, But the good news is it's a week. You know, they'll recover. The better news is there's a bunch of games against the Baltimore Orioles in there who stink, you know. And, you know, it was interesting. I was reading a story over the weekend. Uh, Bill Madden wrote it, you know, and you have to take this at face value because he's a New York writer. And and if you tell me, and I look, I have a lot of writer friends, but if you tell me that writers that cover a team, that are beat writers for a team, aren't biased towards that team. I'll tell you, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I have the Brooklyn bridge for sale because it is a common thing. It's inevitable when you cover a team on a day-to-day basis that you are going to get emotionally invested in a team. It just happens. So Bill Madden was writing a story this weekend about teams that are going to be irrelevant in Major League Baseball. Before the season ever starts, he's, these, this is a list of teams that are irrelevant. And he listed the Boston Red Sox as one of those teams that are, is irrelevant along with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Colorado Rockies. Um, there was one or two others. And, and that was those, you know, Texas Rangers, I think, was another one. But I don't, I, I, in my heart, I honestly don't believe that the Red Sox are irrelevant. I honestly believe that the Red Sox have an opportunity to make the playoffs this year. Do I think they're going to get to the World Series? No. Do I even think they'll advance past the first round of the playoffs? No. My only caveat to that will be if Chris Sale comes back at some point this summer and they have gotten him to a point where he can be a member of that rotation in August and September and the Red Sox have kept themselves close and you get to a short series, you know, in that first round of the playoffs and it's three out of five and you have to play or you 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 can pitch Chris Sale, Erod, and Nate Valdi or Garrett Richards, with that Red Sox lineup and the way they can hit home runs, they've had practically more home runs than anybody in spring training this year. I have to give the Red Sox a puncher's chance. And you could say, well, you're a Red Sox fan, and now you're doing the same thing the writers are doing. 
and maybe except you know I'm I'm I'd like to think I'm realistic. I don't think they're going to be. They're not winning the division. There's they they are not winning the division. But I think that they do have a chance to be one of the wild card teams. I absolutely believe that. Um, yesterday in spring training, I mean that power was on display once again, and it was at the top of the lineup. Kike Hernandez and uh, Frenchy Cordero go back to back. Matter of fact, they went not just back to back; they did it on consecutive pitches off of Jose Barrios, who, by the way, is a pretty good pitcher. Uh, and Cordero's was an absolute missile. Now, I, you know, look, I see the problem with Cordero. I watched, you know, he has a big swing, and he likes to pitch upstairs, and he struck out twice in his four at-bats. That's going to be an issue. It's something that we're going to have to live with. Kike Hernandez, and I know it's spring training, and I know we can't get too jazzed up about it, but I love this guy. I love his attitude. You know, he's like, hey, look, I'll play anywhere. He, but he, you know, they asked him yesterday in an interview, where would you rather play? And he said, well, I'd, second or short of where I really would rather play. But he's probably going to see more time out, you know, in, in the outfield than he would like. But he's not a bad outfielder either. You know, he made a couple of nice plays yesterday, had two more hits. He's hitting three thirty three this spring. It was nice to see J.D. Martinez get a couple of hits yesterday. Um, you know, and uh, – the Red Sox, uh, you know, pitching staff-wise, they threw Adam Adovino yesterday. He did give up a run, but it was unearned thanks to an error by Rafi Devers. Uh, Josh Taylor, who they expect to be a big part of the lineup, came out through a scoreless inning. Austin Bryce threw a scoreless inning. He's another guy I think has a chance to be a contributor. Uh, and the Red Sox beat Minnesota. Again, doesn't mean a damn thing. Um, the other scary thing for Boston this week, by the way, is uh, it happened on uh, Thursday. Christian Vasquez uh, ended up getting a big cut under his eye when uh, he took a ball in the face and it broke his sunglasses. He's going to be okay. He'll be ready uh, for opening day. They think they're going to play him in a B game today uh, to try to get him a bunch of at-bats. Uh, but Alex Cora expects him to be ready for opening day. Uh, Ryan Brazier is going to pitch in that B game today as well. Uh, he's coming back from a broken bone in his right hand. Uh, he's not going to be ready for opening day, but they're hoping Brazier will be ready probably in uh, the second week. So progress being made. As far as the Yankees go, they announced yesterday that Corey Kluber is going to be their number two starter behind Garrett Cole. Um, Corey Kluber uh, uh, probably celebrated that yesterday by going out and pitching for the Yankees, and he didn't look very good. Three and a third innings. He gave up two runs, three hits. The concerning part is four walks. Now, he did strike out five and three and a third. Overall, his numbers for the spring, pretty good. And you also have to give uh, you have to give Kluber a pass. You know, we talked about the dead arm issue with Erod. When you think about what happened with Corey Kluber, remember he threw uh, one inning. In May of 2019, or he's thrown one inning, I said should should say since being hit on the, the forearm uh, in 2019, and then tearing a muscle in his right shoulder in Texas last July come after coming back from uh, from uh, getting hit in the forearm. So he essentially hasn't pitched much in two years, but. Uh, that's still a – I think that's a solid number two. Domingo Herman uh, is probably going to end up being their number three. 
when push comes to shove. Now, eventually, Luis Severino is going to come back, and he'll probably jump into that spot. But Herman has looked ridiculous this spring. Uh, I don't think he's allowed to run this spring. Uh, he struck out like 13 guys in nine innings and has not allowed a run. Uh, Jamison Tyon, they announced, by the way, they're going to skip his first uh, turn in the rotation. Of course, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, so they again, going to be very, very careful uh, with him. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Yankees lost to the Phillies. Uh, Zach Wheeler got the start for Philadelphia, went three innings, struck out four, didn't give up any runs. Matter of fact, he only gave up one hit. Uh, you know, the other guy that's looked impressive for the Phillies, they got Archie Bradley, a former Arizona Cardinals closer, and he has looked really good this spring. I think he's only given up one run all spring. Uh, he pitched a scoreless inning yesterday for the Phillies. I think the Phillies um, are going to be – I mean, look, they got a lot of talent, so I, I, I'm, I'm saying they're going to be sneaky good, but everybody, of course, talking about the Mets, everybody talking about the young players on the Atlanta Braves, don't sleep on the Phillies. Look, uh, I think that, you know, they're pitching, obviously, a bit of a question mark, but this team is going to hit the baseball. They're going to be a lot like the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, and one of the other guys, uh, Odubo Herrera, a guy that missed all of last year because of the whole domestic violence thing, he is back, and he has hit the ball very well this spring. You know, Bryce Harper is who he is. Reese Hoskins has had a decent spring. Andrew McCutcheon has hit the ball really well this spring. Um, I think they've got a chance to be better than a lot of people think. Uh, by the way, one other note on the Yankees. Uh, Jay Bruce has made the team, uh, partially because Luke Voigt is going to uh, have surgery. He has a partially torn meniscus. He's going to be out for uh, probably a month. So uh, Jay Bruce, who uh, got off to a great start this spring, then kind of tailed off a little bit, but he is going to make the club Um uh, out of spring training, so uh, good for him. Uh, everybody talking about, still talking about Gary Sanchez because, well, he's a Yankee, but uh, Gary Sanchez went over again yesterday and uh, is hitting uh, 200 this spring. So, yeah, Gary Sanchez is back. He still can't catch a cold, and he's hitting 200 this spring, but hope springs eternal if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, as far as the Mets go yesterday, they got uh, drilled uh, by the Miami Marlins uh, Montgomery got the start, got roughed up, and then uh, uh, they ran a bunch of people out of the bullpen. I guess the only good news now uh, for the Mets in that game yesterday, Dylan Patances with his second straight scoreless innings. However, Edwin Diaz, who's going to be their closer, gave up four runs and three hits, although, again, he had pitched well this spring, so it was kind of his first uh, bad outing. Uh, people hoping that Francisco Lindor is going to stick around long term. Well, maybe there's some hope. He had dinner with with the Mets owner Steve Cohen on Saturday night. The Mets have uh, reportedly said they're going to go as high as $300 million bucks. You know, maybe he and Cohen uh, were able to strike some kind of uh, deal on Saturday night. We'll see. Uh, but obviously a very, very important thing for the Mets. Uh, they've also supposedly touched base with Noah Syndergaard's group uh, about trying to sign him to an extension as well. Uh, Cohen showing that uh, he is definitely not going to be the Wilpons. He is there to spend some money and is happy to do so. Uh, so that's where we're at as far as that goes. Uh, the Twins agreed to a five-year extension with Randy Dobnak. Now, Dobnak's a guy that can start. He started 15 times uh, for the Twins uh, in the last couple of years. And 
this guy, he doesn't throw real hard, but he throws a sinker, and he's tough. He pitched against the Red Sox in the spring training game a few days ago. Made the Red Sox look ridiculous. I don't think he gave up a run in five innings. Made him look terrible. Uh, so he has signed a deal. It's only for $9 million over five years, but there are incentives in that contract that could push it as high as $29 million based on performance, innings pitched, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, uh, good deal for Randy Dobnak, a guy that uh, – and you look at him and he, he, he doesn't look like a baseball player, but uh, – uh, good for him. Hey, you know what? I wish somebody would sign me to a five-year contract for $9 million. It's 45 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. It's 47 minutes past the hour here on a Monday morning. A couple other notes from around baseball before we get out of here. Matt Harvey uh, got the start for the Orioles yesterday. He is uh, in line to start opening day for the Orioles. Matt. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Pitched yesterday, five innings, uh, five hits, gave up a couple of runs, walked two, struck out three. Uh, has not had a great spring. I mean, he's pitched to an ERA of nearly five this spring. Look, I kind of root for the guy. I know he's been a pain in the ass to a lot of people, and a lot of people haven't liked his attitude, et cetera. But he's a Connecticut kid, went to Fitch High School in Groton. Um, uh, my uh, my kids uh, uh, are kind of related to him by marriage. My ex-wife's uh, – it's one of my ex-wife's cousins – uh, so, I mean, I guess, you know, congratulations, I guess, um, you know, but that shows you how far the uh, Orioles have fallen. But I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Harvey. Just, you know, I always root for the Connecticut kids. So, uh, but uh, not, a, not a horrible start for him yesterday. Uh, John Lester made his third start of the spring for Washington yesterday. He got roughed up a little bit. Um, hasn't looked great. Uh, the story for, you know, everybody talks about, well, you know, Juan Soto and, you know, all these young, great kids for the Washington Nationals. How about Ryan Zimmerman, who opted out of last year? He had just hit his sixth home run of the spring yesterday for the Nationals. He has been on an absolute tear uh, in spring training. He's hitting 480 this spring with six bombs. I mean, come on. Uh, so good for him. Um, uh, Kyle Schwarber also uh, hit the ball well yesterday. He is having a decent spring with the uh, Nationals as well. Uh, so, again, you know, w w everybody talks about the Braves and the Mets. I said don't sleep on the Phillies. Uh, don't sleep on the Nationals either. I mean, if John Lester gets his act together, you know, they've got Patrick Corbin, who, by the way, threw four shutout innings yesterday. You know, you've still got Max Scherzer on that team. I mean, this is, a, you know, if their bullpen can do anything, and that's a big if for this Washington team, but they've – you know, they've done a lot of work to retool that bullpen. They could be a dangerous team in the East as well. That may be the most entertaining division to watch in baseball this year. You know, outside of the uh, outside of the battle in the NL West between the Padres and the Dodgers, top to bottom, though, that a that NL East is going to be something else. I mean, uh, the Miami Marlins, who everybody, you know, loved last year with great Cinderella story, they're going to be the worst team in that league. And I, don't, I know they have great young players, but, man, the rest of that division is absolutely loaded uh jake arietta uh, who returned of course to the cubs uh, yeah not good two and two-thirds yesterday five hits allowed four runs uh gave up a, a walk with the bases loaded in the second inning then he hit a guy i mean it was it was uh, a train wreck uh one good note for the cubs i mean and they got drilled by the rangers 12 to 8 but uh, jock peterson his eighth home run of the spring of course he came over from the dodgers uh, and uh, looking like he is going to love uh, hitting at Wrigley Field this year. 
Um, the Padres and the Indians played to a 3-3 tie. Joe Musgrove uh, did not allow a hit for five innings for the Padres in the start in that one. Uh, Mike Miner with a good start yesterday for the Kansas City Royals, uh, allowed just one run and five hits over five innings uh, as they beat the Rockies yesterday 6-3. to I picked the Angels to win the American League West this year just because the rest of that division stinks except for Houston, and I'm not sure Houston has enough pitching. But one of the guys they're going to have to rely on if they're going to do anything is Andrew Heaney you know, in their rotation. And Andrew Heaney yesterday gave up four runs and four hits, including three bombs, two of them by Max Muncie. But they still beat the Dodgers 6-5, but not a great start for Andrew Heaney yesterday. Uh, hockey yesterday, the Bruins lose again to the New Jersey Devils. The New Jersey Devils, folks, are one of the three worst teams in the NHL in, in terms of wins and points, etc. And the Bruins are 0-4-1. one against the New Jersey Devils. They lose yesterday one nothing. Kyle Palmieri with a goal at uh, 16-37 of the first period, and then the Bruins could do absolutely nothing. Now, they outshot New Jersey, but Mackenzie Blackwood made 40 saves for his first shutout of the season. I mean, how, you know, it's one of those things that's just inexplicable that a team that bad owns the Bruins like that. They will play again. Those two teams will play in Boston uh, on Tuesday night, uh, you know, and hopefully the, the Bruins are hoping uh, to get Brad Marchand back. He has missed uh, a couple of games now because he's in the COVID-19 protocol. They are hoping uh, that he will be back for that game on Tuesday night. Uh, I was looking forward to the NASCAR race yesterday, the dirt track uh, at Bristol where they they dump like 200 and, or I don't know, 37,000 cubic yards or something of dirt uh, on that half-mile oval for a dirt track. It poured there yesterday, uh, turned it into a, a mud pit. Uh, they are going to try to do it again today, uh, 3 o'clock or 3.30 uh, on Fox this afternoon. You know, it's going to be interesting because uh, the early returns in the practices and stuff said that that dirt track was absolutely tearing the hell out of tires. So uh, they're going to run a truck race at noon followed by the uh, the cup race at 3.30. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of condition that track is in come 3.30. But I'm still looking forward to seeing it. You know, it's just something we don't see in the cup series. Uh, and the U.S. men's soccer team will not be in the Olympics yet again this year. Uh, for the third straight Olympics, the men do not qualify. They lost to Honduras Sunday night. Um, Honduras scored the only goal of the game in stoppage time in the first half, and uh, uh, the United States couldn't do anything, so uh, they are out yet again. Uh, it's just it's embarrassing, and, and I know soccer is not our national sport, you know. But you know, we we, we watched the uh, you know I was I, I read another story that the, the Olympic team can't qualify, but you can go out and you go play Northern Ireland in a friendly, and you can beat them. But you know, it's just it's crazy. So again. The United States out of the uh, soccer tournament in the Olympics. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger died yesterday. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger is the guy who was kind of the uh, father of University of Miami football. Now, they had football long before Howard Schnellenberger, but he is the one that built the Miami Hurricanes into a national power while he was the coach there. Uh, he also did the same thing uh, at Louisville. He went there and helped build a stadium, and then he started the program at Florida Atlantic. I mean, he coached for over 50 years 
Um, and uh, uh, he was 87 years old. He won five national championships uh, in uh, Miami. Uh, coached Louisville to a Fiesta Bowl win over Alabama uh, in 1990 and uh, founded the program, as I said, at Florida Atlantic. And he retired there as coach uh, after 11 seasons. And by the way, they won back-to-back bowl games uh, while he was at Florida Atlantic. So uh, uh, he passes away at the age of 87. Uh, golf tournament this weekend. It was, of course, it was the match, the Dell Technologies match play. Billy Horschel um, wins it as he beats uh, Scotty Scheffler uh, two two and one in the uh, the final. All the big names got knocked out. I mean, uh, Matt Kuchar was like the biggest name left in the tournament in the semifinals. All the big names uh, were out. Uh, many of them didn't even make the uh, the knockout stages for the weekend. Uh, and one more note, yet another lawsuit has been filed against Deshaun Watson, the 20th now. Another civil case against him uh, alleging uh, sexual assault. And, uh, uh, you know, it just uh, continues to get messier and messier. But as I said the other day, and here's the part I don't understand, is why has this not gone to the police? And the Houston Police Department said Friday, that it has not yet received any evidence against Deshaun Watson from his attorney or from the attorney from all these women, Tony Busby. Um, and supposedly uh, he is going to submit some stuff today. But why he hasn't to this point is head scratching. And uh, it will be very, very interesting to see if whatever they have meets the bar to be able to make criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. And that's why I said in the beginning, and I don't want to doubt these women. If there's something to this, he needs to have his feet held to the fire. But, you know, why are all these civil cases, why aren't they criminal cases? If if my daughter was sexually assaulted by Deshaun Watson, I'm not going to an attorney first. I'm going to the police, and that's the part I don't understand. But now 20 women have come forward, so stay tuned. We may have some more information today um, when the uh, information gets to the uh, Houston Police Department, and we'll see what they have to say. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from a Foreigner, just because I feel like it. Uh, it's a little hot-blooded. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.